people and a new creation um, through just hearing the word preached. Um, in Christ's name, amen. So, um, we are going to be talking about uh, the law today, okay? And, um, and the proper use of the law, which is a difficult, difficult idea. And we're going to work on it. And as we're kind of going into this uh, uh, cold and flu season, or going through this cold and flu season, I, I thought I'd share, um, years ago, uh, when I was uh, a lot younger and dumber, um, when I would, uh, I, or at least a lot younger, how's that? I got a couple of looks, and I was younger and equally dumb. Um, when I would get the flu, my approach, and this started in college, because like, nobody taught me how to, how to tend myself when I was sick. Like My mom would always do stuff, and, and I never like, figured it out myself. So when I would get sick, I would go to the grocery store, I would walk down the aisle, and I would say, all right, NyQuil, right? Because NyQuil's magic, um, and Benadryl probably works, and then the Sudafed stuff's pretty awesome, and then I'll get this, and I'll get that. And by the time I was done, I would have a small cart full of stuff, and you can't do that anymore because um, they make you sign papers, and they only sell you so much cold medicine at a time. And I would go home, and I would take a little bit of everything all day. I, mean, I never followed the times. I never used the cup like because you have to wash it. You know, and that's a headache. And so I would just, you know, all right, well, I probably ought to take some NyQuil now. Let's take a slug off the bottle and head to bed. And, and, um, and I, I, I have come to understand since that that's a really bad idea, right? Like it is a really bad idea to take medicine willy-nilly, um, to take medicine that may not even be aimed at your symptoms, and to take as much of it as possible in hopes that it will cure a cold because, well, really – like nothing cures the cold, right? Um, and so I would go to work, and every once in a while I'd duck out and like, all right, well, I'm going to have some of that one, and I'll try some of this one. That made me feel good last time, and I would take it, and I would go back. And it is a, a superior dumb way, right? Like, and I would never explain this to people because folks would look at you and say, well, you're, you're insane. Like, you can't, you can't take five medicines at the same time. That's nuts. But to me it made sense because I would say if a little bit of a good thing is a good thing, then a lot of that same good thing is probably phenomenal. And in reality, it's phenomenally dumb, right? Because I was misusing a product based on really faulty logic, having not learned anything about human health or wellness. Um, I'm sure somebody tried to teach me at some point, but... Well, we'll not get into that. Um, so what we're talking about this week is the law. This is a letter. Uh, we're in Timothy. We're going to be reading through Timothy for the next few months. Um, Timothy was, here's the background before we dive into our text. Um, Timothy was like a disciple of Paul. He was a student of Paul. He was one of several pastors that we know about that Paul trained and deployed. Um, Timothy was the gentle one, as we understand it. Like it's generally like most Bible scholars will say, um, Titus was uh, Paul's, like, hammer, right? Like, he sent uh, Timothy to Corinth, and Timothy got kicked out because he was a little too nice. And then he sent Titus, who, like, kicked their butts, 
um, and got the place in order. Um, so Timothy was a little more pastoral, a little more gentle. Titus was the tough guy. Um, and so Paul is writing Titus, who is pastoring over Ephesus, right, the church in Ephesus. And there's some false teaching going on. Last week, we kind of dug into a little bit of what that false teaching might be, and we started looking at, um, like, what good teaching produces in people. And we're going to touch on that just a little bit this week before we dive into our text for the week. And so just understand, like, the people who are receiving this letter are, are dealing with a specific set of situations. Um, like, false teachers are in this church. They're teaching crazy stuff about the law. They're probably Judaizers or people who are teaching, like, a variation of the Jewish faith and trying to, like, sort of force that into the context. But there's not a whole lot of clues. That's a guess, right? And it's a guess based on, like, hey, this is the most common bad teaching, um, we're talking a lot about the law, um, et cetera. Um, and so last week we did the first like seven pa- or six, seven verses the, the, of the book. And I really wanted to touch on these two little bits before we get to where we're going. So Paul tells Timothy, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. And what we talked about, this is sort of like the, the central line last week. Um, and we're going to go backward. Real, like sincere faith. Like faith that is real, that isn't a show, that's not fake, that isn't a, a, a thing you're putting out there so that people will believe you're this, this good guy when in reality you're faking it. Um, that sincere faith produces a good conscience, which in turn produces a good heart, which in turn produces love. And so good teaching... And actually, he talks about this good doctrine idea, this good doctrine, this good teaching, this clear understanding of the scriptures, like, creates this faith, like, with the Holy Spirit, which, you know, creates this domino effect. And the end product is love, right? And it's not the feeling of love, because we talked about that a little bit, right? Like, like the feeling of love is not really the concept Paul plays out when he says love. Love is a sacrificial collection of action and attitude toward the folks around you and so like when we read about love in first corinthians 13 he says love is patient kind gentle um doesn't boast doesn't think of itself um is not self-seeking you know that like it is all of these things that we do that are selfless and aimed at the other person and so he says listen love this selfless attitude this this emulation of Christ, this like being like Jesus toward the people around us, is a product of all of this stuff, and it starts with good teaching. Like it starts with teaching that is focused on the Word, that is focused on um, like good doctrine and on the gospel. Um, certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying. Or the things about which they make confident assertions. So he's saying, listen, certain people in your church have decided I'm going to be a teacher. But they don't know anything. They don't know what they're talking about and they're teaching foolishly. Right? They're teaching stuff that is nonsense and that is trash. They're breaking away from the gospel and like, like they're teaching this stuff that says um, they're teaching about the law, not knowing what the law is not understanding that what they're saying is wrong and, and not understanding that like, like 
they're creating like a disaster. They're not creating real faith that produces a pure heart, clean conscience, all of this other stuff. Like they're not doing that. They're teaching their perspective and their opinion. It always makes me crazy when I talk to folks and I say, well, what do you think that passage means? I feel like, right, because like generally if we go by what I feel, my feelings shift from day to day. Have you all ever noticed that? I might love somebody one day and then despise them the next day. I might feel strongly about one thing one day or, you know, and then change my mind the next week. If I'm a politician, I might change it from season to season. Or I might stick my finger in the wind and see how I feel about it today. Like, like in reality, though, like the scriptures, they don't change. And so we base our teaching on the scriptures, um, in particular the gospel. The gospel is the teaching that all of us are sinners. All of us are fallen. All of us fall short. All of us are stained by, like, like the sin that we commit. And that God loves us so much, loves you so much, that even when you're in rebellion, even when you're lost, even when you've wandered away, even when you're, like, like, like worshiping yourself or, like, indulging in something that's a complete violation of his law, he sent Christ to die for you. That God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And the only way that we can be saved from our own sin is to believe in Christ, have faith in Christ, and like we are saved by that faith, which produces a new life in us. Okay? Like that is what the gospel is. That is how we are saved. That is the core of Christianity. And so, actually, I, Jess and I are watching a TV show right now, um, uh, The Good Place. Have any of you guys seen this show? It, it's funny. It's about a group of people that end up in hell, and which just doesn't sound funny. Um, but they end up in hell, and they learn about the afterlife, and they try to get into heaven. And the whole show is based on the premise that if you do more good than bad and you do enough good, you will go to heaven. The problem is, of course, that you can never undo the bad that you've done. You can never do enough good to undo the bad. Like I, I had years where I was an awful husband. And probably a few here recently. I don't know. Um, I had years where I was an awful husband. It doesn't matter how good of a husband I am now. I can't undo that stuff, right? I can never undo the garbage that I committed, the sins I committed. If I threw a rock at somebody in the in the room right now, the moment that rock leaves my hand, can I call it back? Absolutely not. Once a sin is committed, it is committed. And like the reality is that if I have to do more good than bad. I'm in trouble. You're all in trouble. But what was happening in this church is people were teaching the law as a way of going to heaven. And so we're going to get into the text for this week. Um, This is uh, 8 and uh, the first half of 9 here. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. Now you might read that and read it wrong. And in fact, actually, it is very commonly read wrong in, in the modern world. Because people will read it and they'll say, oh, the law is for the wicked. And so I should get up and use the law like a bat. Anybody ever encountered folks who do that? And they, you know, they, they are quite certain that everybody but me is going to hell. You know, and they... they offer no grace, they offer no love, they are, the law is the law. Um, that, that's one way that it's misused. The law is used to not convict people of sin and draw them 
to repentance, but to beat folks down, right? And in reality, that's, that's not exactly right. The law's purpose, as Paul is saying it here, using it lawfully is to demonstrate to folks that they need Jesus, right? The law's purpose is to explain to me that I cannot earn heaven on my own and I don't deserve it. But that Jesus' death for me is the most amazing thing God has ever done, could possibly do on my behalf. Like the fact that Christ died for me, like this, this lost man, like that is an amazing, amazing, amazing gift. And I, I'm using amazing a lot because I can't overstate the degree to which it is a blessing. The, the gift that Christ died for us is, it, it's, it's actually foolishness to the world. Um, that is the purpose of the law. The law exists to tell us what sin is so that we will turn from our sin and come to know Christ. There are folks who encounter the law, and instead of encountering the law and being convicted of their sin, they're pushed to hide. Um, I think I was trying to think of a good example of this, and I kept coming back to Adam and Eve, right? We know the story of Adam and Eve. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they realized that they were naked. And what they did was they found leaves and covered themselves up because they were ashamed. And then God shows up and he's like, well, who told you guys you were naked? And like they had covered themselves up. First off, it's just Adam and Eve there, right? Like ain't nothing they haven't seen already. Um, in reality, what they were ashamed of was their fallenness. They were ashamed of their, the fact that they had sinned, that they had rebelled against God. That's where their shame come from, came from. And they're covering up these things and trying to hide the fact that they had fallen. And even covering it up demonstrated that they were fallen. A lot of times we use the law as a fig leaf, and it's one of the ways that the law is used unlawfully. And I think in this context, this is part of what's happening. Um, if we use the law as a way of covering our sin, that's wrong. There are people who will say, hey, look, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, and I am so much better than so-and-so, who is really bad because they're doing this, and they're doing this, and they're doing this. Look at how holy I am. You guys know what I'm talking about? Is this this is this is a thing, right? I I watched uh, I watched a preacher this morning who was um, who was talking about how like basically he was holier because he read from the right version of the Bible and he wore the right clothes and he never like went to the movies and never danced and all of these other things and that made him holy. Well, none of that makes you holy. <laughs> like none of the law will ever make you holy. Um, the law cannot possibly do that because of sin, because we are infected by sin. That is an improper use of the law. It is an improper use of the law to pronounce constant judgment without offering the gospel. The law's purpose is to demonstrate the need for Jesus. Uh, Romans 7, you go read the whole chapter of Romans 7 when we go home today, okay? Everybody do that, um, because this is it, right? Like, this is the law and the sin and the gospel, 7 and 8, actually, like all just, just perfectly presented. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? 
by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet, meaning don't want stuff that doesn't belong to you. If the law hadn't told me that was wrong, I wouldn't know it was wrong. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, meaning the sin in me sees a rule and says, oh, I bet I could break that. You know, it would be really fun to break that. Have you ever, like, gotten a rule and suddenly realized you wanted to break it? Like, just because it was a rule? I I remember when I was in high school, they had areas where you were not allowed to eat during the day. Right? No eating in this part of the building. And, like, there was so much building to eat in. There was so much outside to eat in. But I wanted to eat where I wasn't supposed to. And so I, me and a couple other guys, we would put a huge amount of effort into eating lunch in a part of the building we weren't supposed to eat in. Why? Because it was more comfortable? Not at all. Actually, it was less comfortable. Because it was convenient? Actually, not at all. Looking back, I can't understand why I did it. We did it because because we weren't supposed to. <laughs> um, anybody ever drive and try and figure out how much faster you can go than like what you're supposed to do? No? Anybody ever ask Daniel or uh, Jeremy Eccles, how fast can I go before I get pulled over? Oh, okay. But speeding is the small version of this. Anybody ever heard someone say, just, cause I'm mar- uh, just because I've already gotten my meal doesn't mean I can't look at the menu? I'm married. It doesn't mean I'm dead. Oh, but that's not sin. I'm just looking. Ask your wife. Oh, perfect giggle. Thank you. <laughs> but it's true, right? Oh, it's not a sin because I'm not. And you get as close to the line as you can without breaking the rule. Oh. You know, but sin is sin, and sin looks for opportunities to sin, and it makes itself sinful. Um, For apart from the law, sin is dead, meaning sin has nothing to rebel against. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life, meaning the commandment was there so I would know how to have a relationship with God. I would know how to be right before God, but... It promised that life proved death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. Meaning I rebelled against God, and as soon as I started rebelling against God's sin, I was dead. I was spiritually dead. Um, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So what we're saying here is, look, the law is a good thing. God's law is a blessing because it's how we know what it means to have a relationship with God. Um, there, there's a great spot in the Old Testament where, like, the, the scriptures had been abandoned for decades. Generations, people hadn't read the word. And the various kings of Israel became more and more pagan. And they had, um, they had a point where one of the kings said, well, look, um, he actually was approached by the chief priest who found the book of the law in the temple. He said, hey, I found this book of the law. And he had it read publicly, and the king was like, oh, my gosh, we're breaking all of that stuff. We're doing really bad. And they had to do things like go into the Holy of Holies. By the way, the Holy of Holies is the most holy place where God's presence would appear. You only went in there once a year after being ritually purified, and there was a good chance you could just be struck dead while you were doing it. And, like, like they had to go into the Holy of Holies and cut down a statue of an Asherah pole. If you don't know what that is, you might ask me later. Please don't. It's really embarrassing. It is a large pole for the fertility god. Just saying. Um, they had to cut down an Asherah pole and pull it out of the Holy of Holies. Like, we know what sin is, and you either are repentant or you say, oh, well, I'll break that rule. Right? 
And a lot of times it produces that in us. I'm going to rebel. Oh, God doesn't want me to do this? Watch. Oh, God doesn't want me to do this? I'm going to stand as close to the line as I can. You ever, parents, you ever watch your kids do this? Don't touch that. Not touching it. But in our case, it's things like, don't look at other women. Don't lust after other women. Well, just glance them. It's, don't steal. Well, it's not stealing if it's Walmart. I heard somebody say that once. It's not stealing if it's Walmart. They have so much money, it doesn't even matter. No, it's still stealing. Um, that's what stealing is. Stealing is taking something that doesn't belong to you. Um, and that's the way it works. Like, the law is wonderful. It shows us what it means to have a relationship with God. It shows us what it means to be right before God. It shows us what God is like. It teaches us about who God is. And sin prompts our rebellion. Now we know that the law is good. This is Timothy again. I'm repeating the previous verse. We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. And disobedient for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and the profane it is there to help them to know like that they're in sin and they need to repent and they need jesus and that god offers grace in christ um for those who strike their fathers and mothers what he's about to do is he's about to go through the ten commandments which is kind of cool right he's not going through all ten he's going through the table of the law dealing with people right because the first four relate to god don't have any other gods. Don't use his name in vain. Don't, um, you know, take a day off to spend with him, these things. And then all of the rest of them deal with how we deal with our families. For those who strike their mothers, um, fathers and mothers, which is like honor your mother and father, right? Don't strike your mother and father. Um, for murderers, for sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. By the way, that word there, sound doctrine, this is the second time he's used it in this book. Um, In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So Paul expands. He says, listen, the law exists so folks know. The law exists for the lost. The law exists for people who don't know it's sin. It doesn't exist so we can shame people into misery, right? It, it exists like this beautiful song that fills the room so we can know what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And like it's supposed to bring us joy, not bring us misery. It brings us misery if when we compare ourselves to it, we have to hide, right? For a long time when I was, um, when I was like following Jesus and I was falling slowly into sin, I didn't want to tell people that I was sinning because I didn't, I didn't want them to judge me and know I wasn't perfect. I remember I used to drive two towns over to buy beer so nobody would see me buy it, right? <laughs> like, I, it, was, it was crazy, but the idea was if people know that I'm not perfect, then, um, then they'll know that I'm human. They'll know that I sin, and I need to hide. And so as Paul puts these things out there, they're there to let us know, like, hey, Christ died for you. Christ died for these people. Christ died for folks who hit their parents. Christ died for murderers. We don't like the idea that murderers can go to heaven, do we? We like the idea that people who go out there and commit horrible, atrocious, miserable, wicked acts are, like, met with judgment. We like that, right? Um, But in reality, Christ died for those people. Christ died for the sexually immoral. He died for liars. He died for slave traders. Christ died for people who sold slaves. He died for them. 
And there's grace to be found there. And the purpose of the law is to draw people to that in grace. If we, as believers, take the law and we use it as an opportunity to shame people, right? Not call them to repentance, not offer grace in Christ, but only offer judgment. Um, we're misusing the law. The law only works when it's paired with the gospel. Only works when it paired with the gospel. That is one of the most important things that came out of the Reformation, right? That's that's everything in, in Christianity for the last, like, what, 500 years? Five, almost 600 years? Um, everything about the believing life is the gospel. It comes back to the gospel over and over again. Just say, listen, you are in sin because of this, but you can be forgiven in Christ. God will redeem you. God will make you new in Christ. It always comes back to that. There's sometimes a temptation and a tendency to say, oh, don't worry about sin. I read this great story where this guy, there's actually a D.L. Moody sermon illustration. He says, well, look, this guy came in and he said, well, you know, I, I need to come to the Lord. I need to be saved. And, and I, I've been committing all these sins. And, and Moody says to him, well, look, what, uh, what sins have you committed? Uh, well, I've overdrawn my account. Overdrew your account? You mean you're stealing from your employer? Well, yeah, yeah, I'm stealing from my employer. How much? How much did you steal last year? I don't know. I couldn't even possibly guess. Was it $1,500? Yeah, that's probably about it. Well, okay, so next year, only steal 1000 that way you're easing out of your sin. And then the year after that, you could only steal 500 And you're backing out of your sin slowly. And Moody says, look, of course that's ridiculous. Nobody would do that, right? You don't like, oh, I'm going to cut back on my sin a little bit and hope for the best, right? Like we, we look at sin and we say, oh, my gosh, this is contrary to God's law. If Christ died for me, I need to be a new creation. This is what I need. I can't earn heaven. I can't cut back a little bit and go to heaven because I'm a good person. Like we are saved because of Christ. And that becomes... Like, I love God, therefore I live this way. I love my brother, therefore I live this way. I love my parents. I love my neighbor. I love these people, therefore I don't steal. I don't try to figure out how to get their stuff. I don't do this stuff. All of this is produced by um, knowing the gospel in context of the law. That sound doctrine there, the reason he mentions it is sound doctrine, good teaching, appropriate understanding of the law is this. Just knowing the gospel of Christ is knowing the purpose of the law. It's knowing that I am lost as a sinner and saved by grace. So Paul goes on. There's a standalone text, and a lot of times you'll see folks preach that by itself. However, I think without this part, it loses a lot. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, listen, I was a blasphemer. I, I said that Christ wasn't Lord. I said that he wasn't the Son of God. I was a persecutor of the church. I was, um, like Paul acknowledges, look, I was evil. I was sinful. Um, and I did all of this stuff. And despite that, I'm an apostle. Despite that, God had mercy on me. Despite that, God saved me. It was a perfect demonstration of what the law is. The law made him understand the wickedness he had committed. And he came to repentance. And he became this person who belongs to Christ. 
Um, does that mean he doesn't sin anymore? Actually, go back to Romans 7. He says, I don't understand the things that I do. For the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I hate are the things I, <laughs> I do all the time. If I know something's a sin and I do it anyway, I'm a slave. You know, who will save me from the, what a wretched man I am? Who will save me from this body of death? And then he says, praise be to God for Christ Jesus our Lord. Like Christ died for us when we were sinners. Christ died for us as we continue to struggle with sin. Christ died for us when we um, hide our sin and like he calls us to repentance. We can't do that forever. Like eventually it becomes this thing like that, that will kill us spiritually. But like Christ died for us even then. And over and over again he calls us back. He says, repent, no grace. That's one of the reasons, by the way, you'll notice one of the things I'm unapologetic about the fact that I am like, super not perfect right first off if i pretended to be perfect 90 percent of the people in this room would know right but secondly because it's the truth i'm not good i've received grace i'm not holy christ is holy when i do something right i do it because jesus is in me not because i'm really that awesome i i've sinned i've sinned probably better than most of you but I'm where I am because of God's mercy, because of God's grace, because Christ died for me. And I have no shame about confessing my sin because when I hide my sin, when I, when I bury it, when I try to deal with it myself and I pretend it's not a real big thing, I defy what Christ's grace is on me. And I put a false message out for you all, right? I'm perfect and you can be too. Be as good as me. Christ died for me. He died for you. The saying, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. By the way, this is the Apostle Paul. Okay, let's put this into context. The Apostle Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Most of what we know about Jesus came from Paul. Paul planted churches all over the world. Paul... Um, was once arrested, and they said to him, hey, we're going to execute you. And he's like, yes, I get to go be with Jesus. Let's do it. I'm like, fine, we won't execute you. We'll torture you. Yes, I get to experience the suffering of Jesus. Let's do this. Well, fine, we're going to lock you in jail. And they locked him in jail and chained him to guards, and he sat there and told them about Jesus all day and all night and converted most of the palace guards and created the first church in Rome, like, because he wouldn't shut up. This is Paul who calls himself the worst of sinners. I put myself next to him and I say, he's saying that because he didn't know me. In reality, the law draws us to a place where we look inward and we say, I need Christ. If the law is a gun we point at the other guy, we're using it wrong. If it's a mirror we use to look at ourselves and say, I need Jesus. And then to turn around and share with the folks around us, you need Jesus too. Christ died for you then we're using it properly. Of which, of whom I am the foremost, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul ends his opening arguments with a doxology. Um, I'm going to finish up with one last verse and maybe a little exposition. 
Um, but my encouragement and my challenge to you is to do what Paul says in Second Corinthians. As you hear the Gospels, you look at the list and you're like, oh, wow, I do this, I do that. I struggle with this. As you sit there and you know, like, man, gossip is a thing in my world. Um, lying is a thing in my world. Drinking or pornography or stealing or jealousy or bitterness towards folks around me or laziness or a lack of like being willing to be the leader spiritually in my family or um, whatever it is like this this garbage that we know is in there and we hide and hope that God doesn't you know <laughs> doesn't take it out on us and hope nobody ever figures it out like that stuff as you hear it and you know the law is there and the law shows me what I need to fix come to Christ um, Second Corinthians Paul writes. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Um, years ago, I, about three years ago, I got pictures in the mail from a relative in Germany who visited us here in Montana. And I was looking at the pictures, and I was like, I'm really fat in these pictures. What happened? And I'll, like, it's not like I didn't know. I mean, I get dressed in front of the mirror every morning. I know I got fat. And I would look at that and I'd go, like, oh, man, i got to do something about this, right? You know what I did before? Nothing. <laughs> look in the mirror and say, man, that's awful. I hate the way I am right now, and I'd keep going. Um, those pictures, I looked at them and I said, i got to fix something. And it created a grief in me that made me change. This is not exactly the same way. Um, but when I look in the mirror and I see, when I look at the law, when I look at God's word and I see, i got to fix. That is like, like can be godly grief. It can produce in me repentance. It can draw me to Christ. It can help me fill myself with Christ and come to know Jesus in a bigger way and become a new creation. That is the purpose of the law. That is the purpose of the scriptures to create change in us. Worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief makes me hide. Worldly grief makes me legalistic. Worldly grief might prompt me to give up and say, well, forget it. I'm just going to live however I'm going to hell anyway. Why not? My challenge to you today is to ask yourself, when I look at the law, when I hear the word preached, when I hear the gospel, is it drawing you to Christ or is it helping you put up a bigger barrier and pretend better? Is it drawing you to repentance? Is it helping you like love your neighbor as Christ loved his neighbor or as Christ loved us? Is it helping you like like desire to know God intimately? Um, is it drawing you into his presence? Or is it dragging you in the wrong direction? Is it creating legalism? Is it creating hiding and secrecy? There's a great phrase I love. We are only as sick as our secrets. And a lot of times we hide our sins and it poisons us. I'm going to close in prayer and I'll let you all go. Um, my challenge for you again this week Look at your heart. Look at your life. Look at the law of God. Look at the scriptures and ask yourself, am I growing to be more like Jesus? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make us into people who are for your people, Lord, who use the law as a mirror to see our own hearts stony and broken. I pray that you would help us to wash ourselves in the blood of the Lamb, that you would make us new creations, Lord God. And as we encounter folks who are also lost as we once were. Help us to share the gospel. Help us to share the law and the gospel together so folks know that I, they need Jesus. That Christ calls us to repentance and to new, new life. Help us, to, help us to be people who are conduits of your spirit in this world. Help us to be people who carry the gospel and handle the law lawfully. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good Sunday, folks.